I'll tell you what, this might be the first podquisition. It might be the actual first one where I I can't say I played anything this week. Um, for when we talk about games, what we played. You 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 both didn't play much, did you? You you're stealing my you're stealing my irrelevant position <laughs> on the podcast. I I don't even know what I was busy with all week, but I just, I played things that weren't video games. I played board games and stuff, but none, none of them interactive bollocks. You know what I was busy with for two days? What? <laughs> I fucking finally beat the Orphan of Cause. Oh. Wait, wait. I I've just realized something. Yeah. Has Gav played more video games than us this week? Yes. Maybe. I, I will say absolutely. <laughs> I tell you what, I, it's not even that I've been busy with much. Because um, Lord knows I ain't got nothing going on at the moment. Um, after the massive deluge of games in the first couple of months, it's, there's nothing. There's nothing. I love it. It's an excuse to go and, go and replay all the fucking great games that deserve a second run. If you're me, it's an excuse to get those last six shiny Pokemon because, you know, what else am I going to fucking play? Okay, actually, I saw you tweeting about that, right? And I was like, it says a lot to me about that game that someone with your amount of followers on Twitter is having trouble finding stuff in it. Ah, like, I... Do you get what I mean? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Like, it, it totally would have been doable solo, but it would have taken me an infinitely longer period of time. Like, I'm in the 400 hours range with this game. What the fuck? <laughs> and that's with with mobilizing a Twitter audience to be like, hey, you want to do some trades, everyone? I've got, sp- I've got spares of some of them, and I am still struggling to get all those Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. There's, 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 there's a lot of video game in there, but... <laughs> 20, 20 tries it took me to uh, to solo the Orphan of Cause but I fucking did it and I will hear those screeches and screams in my dreams how did you uh, go about it what sort of build were you, were you rocking well you see it really just showed me the difference between this game and Sekiro for me in that every single time I fought him I just got a little bit closer to winning yeah whereas in Sekiro's last boss fight I was not that was not happening for me in that game, I knew what I had to do when I had to do it, but I just couldn't get my brain and hands to do it quickly enough. Sekiro is you either did it or you didn't, as opposed to degrees yeah. of closeness to success. Yeah, like every, every time I fought the orphan, there was one extra move that I learned how to deal with, or one thing I learned not to do, or, yeah. you know, a, a parry timing that I got a little closer to getting right or something, you know? I feel like part of that, is maybe that design decision that Sekiro made where because ultimately it's you get the big hit in and you have won with Sekiro, you get less of a feeling of incremental progress towards victory. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Like like with an actual health bar and, you know, the ability to slowly chip away, you've got the, the ability to go, well, I still didn't beat it, but like, I'm pretty sure if I remember right, that health bar got like a fraction of a point lower down. So I'm doing better. Yeah, I also just think with Sekiro, they could have made such a massive, vast improvement to that game by just having different color uh, markers for the unblockables. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. But that would be verging on making it. it, it that, that would almost be an easy mode. And easy modes in games are, are you know, we cannot infringe upon creative <laughs> visions. Hand holding! 
Yeah. Anything in a game that tells you how to play it is hand-holding. Um, as, as we all know, anyone who is invested in video games would never want anyone to change their artistic vision in any way, shape, oh, no. or form, even if they personally dislike it. Cough, 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 Sonic is getting redesigned and everyone's quite happy about it. Cough, 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 Destiny. Cough, 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 Anthem. Cough, 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 Dragon Age Inquisition. Cough, 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 coughing! Akans! Cough, 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 you know, med- modding in completely different visuals into Skyrim doesn't count as not respecting <laughs> the artistic vision at all. I tell you what, though, cough, 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 thanks Obama in Dark Souls when you die. But I tell you what, though, Sonic the Hedgehog, yeah, the Manhog, the Hate Hog, as shown in that original trailer, it is, as you say, being redesigned. It's being redesigned. Yeah. I'm not happy about it. Don't get me wrong. I despise that horrible, hairy, twisted nightmare that was in that trailer. But I would have gone to see that movie specifically to be disgusted for 90 minutes. (laughs) Now they're probably going to make him a bit more, like, standard. So it'll just be a bad movie. It won't be a bad movie that Mm. is also nightmare fuel, which to me is infinitely more interesting. It'll be boring instead of a horror show. Yeah. I never expected this film to be good. I don't want this film to be good. It's a Sonic movie. The best I'm hoping for is unintentionally hilarious embarrassment. That's what I'm there to see. So I'm sort of regretful that they're changing the design because that was something to talk about. So what what you're saying here, Jim, is you really, really, really want someone at that studio to just leak you the cursed cut where Sonic has human teeth for the entire runtime. Well, I mean, again, bear in mind, the things I watch for fun, sitting through the entirety of Black Fucking Summer, even when it reached that bit of an episode where it was clear there were three more episodes that should have been before that one. I, I watched till the finale. Fucking Full Moon Studios movies all the time. When there are good things I want to watch and decide now's not the time. Could I watch The Wire? Nah, now's not the time. When will it be the time? I don't know. I'm watching Puppet Master 3, Toulon's Revenge. <laughs> So uh, if you if you understand my mindset, you can see why, even though I, I appreciate that it's good what they're doing, I guess. Well, sort mm. of. I mean, aside from the six, it would be good if they were to delay the film to do it. Let me say that. Yeah, that's, in that's theory, the yeah, in theory, listening to fans is a good idea. But in practice, this whole thing looks like a shit show. And by the way, I wholly reject the notion all of this is a troll or an elaborate marketing stunt. I went to see Avengers uh, Endgame at its opening weekend. They already had giant cardboard cutouts with Sonic's horrible design on it. They've they've invested in this in promotion. They've done interviews on it. Yeah. They've cut an entire professional trailer. No studio, much less one as big as Paramount, is going to waste that much money on a on a gimmick, to, just to make themselves look stupid and awful. Here's here's the thing as well. Like, uh, sorry, I've completely lost where I was going. Can, uh, I'll come back in a sec. All right, I'll I'll just switch the ignition on and start ranting again. Um, right, so, uh, other people said after it had happened, after Paramount made their decision, I saw a lot of takes sort of saying that the design was fine and didn't need changing. I also reject that. It wasn't fine. 
it was ghastly. Um, but I do sort of miss it because that was something funny at least. And I don't believe yeah. flip-flopping flip like this because they defended this design before when Sega piped up. So they flip-flopped. Yeah. And, and it clearly shows a lack of artistic intent with this film, a lack of integrity, because they made that decision so quick. Yeah, how little confidence must they have had in this design is the question, I guess. Because, like, the the live-action uh, Aladdin remake that's happening, yeah, people made fun of Will Smith as a blue genie for about a week, which I think, honestly, is about how long this Sonic thing would have lasted if they hadn't redesigned it. We'd have gotten through a week, something else would have happened, the internet would have got distracted, probably about the same number of people would have seen the end result film. Yeah. If... That couple of days of people going, oh, your Sonic's got weird human teeth, is enough for you to go, we're going to redesign our entire primary character of our movie after trailers are already out. Like, yeah, you did not have confidence in that look to begin with and were hoping that it would be okay. Well, it confirmed to me what I said in this week's Jimquisition about it. The whole thing backed me up in that this looks like a cynical, focus-tested attempt to contrive something as marketable as possible mm. so they got the feedback that what they were selling people might not be buying as readily so on a dime without giving it a chance they were that quick to go back to the drawing board which confirms to me a a high level of cynicism regarding this film it was designed to try and look how they thought people wanted it to yes. look as opposed to how they thought it should best look for the film yes. because as soon as it seems like oh the focus tests were not correct about public opinion we need to change it again as you pointed out six months till this film comes out like yep. as as much as I think it is a positive that they are listening to people and going okay you, you, you find this uncanny valley we want to fix that I do have some worries for the people working on that film who might have to work ludicrous hours to get that no. done for this not delayed film. At least there's more unionization in the movie industry than there is in the game yeah. industry. But at the same time, it's six months to try and rush out and they'll have to fucking... Even though it's not as bad as having to reshoot an entire movie, you're going to have to still cut it in such a way that... If that thing is a different height, yeah. you'll have to change shots to get eyes to align, like the human actors to align properly. That's a momentous thing to do. Um, and it just, yeah, it just reeks of them not actually knowing what people want and just floundering, which is the problem with so much entertainment now. It's desperate floundering to find something that an audience will latch onto and buy merchandise for. And my biggest issue with it was, again, as I argued in the Jimquisition this past week, was how old-fashioned that design was. It's supposed to look mm. all new and edgy and radical, but it's got the mentality of the graphic and artistic and visual design and costume design that we saw in the year 2000. By the way, I love how you used the word radical as something that's new and cool. Yes, <laughs> indeed. They wanted something all bodacious, all gnarly. And instead, <laughs> they got a mindset rooted, as I say, in the early 2000s when the X-Men movie came out and James Marsden's there going, what were you expecting? Yellow spandex? Ha 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 ha! And that wasn't Cyclops saying that. That was the movie talking to the audience because in-universe that line made no sense unless X-Men comics existed in that universe. But that's what the attitude was, was 
brightly coloured things, faithful adaptations are not realistic enough. And that's what they kept, so that executive producer mm. Tim Miller kept talking about in interviews, how to integrate Sonic into a realistic world in a realistic way that is realistic, therefore good. <sighs> when we're in a world where Mysterio is going to be in the, uh, I think the next Marvel movie, complete with yeah. the fishbowl, where a fucking purple <laughs> Thanos is not only viable in a movie, but credible enough that he's easily become one of the most iconic villains in, in movies, yeah. I would argue. Certainly in pop culture, um, <sighs> modern pop culture. Yeah. He's a fucking iconic villain. And he's bright fucking purple. He's in, from what I can see, he's one of the very rare, actually interesting villains in Marvel movies. Yeah. Well, there is that too. I'm trying to remember any of the other ones right now and I'm, I'm having a hard time. He's a big purple man with a butt chin and they somehow made him a credible villain. Michael Keaton was good in that... Uh, in that Spider-Man film, yeah, he was. Vulture, he was, yeah. He was a, he was a weird, he was, he was a weird man in metal wings. You know, you know who's not a good villain? Fucking Euron Greyjoy. He's such a shit pantomime fuckboy. I just, they need to get rid of him in the next episode. He's such a crap. It's villain. a shame because the novel version of Euron Greyjoy is an impeccable villain. An incredible, yeah. like very subtle. I've heard he's very subtle, yeah. and there's something utterly dark and sinister about him and and yeah the even though i like i like the actor he's just an annoying twat in the show yeah i like the actor and i like some of his moments in the show but he's not a patch on the the purple-lipped creepy fucking euron in uh, in the books who's just a, a total shit but not in that joffrey or ramsey way a finger in, a finger in the bum I didn't like Ramsey as a villain either. I thought he was another pantomime villain. He, to give the show credit on that one, he is more pantomime villain in the book. <laughs> I mean, I, well, pantomime is to downplay it in the book without giving spoilers. It's it's an exercise by George R. R. Martin in what what horrible crime against nature can I make him do next? Uh. <laughs> it's like he's got a checklist. See, Cersei, Cersei, that is a great fucking villain. Because on some weird twisted level you can understand her her fucked up reasoning for all the awful things she does, you know? Well they built up such an origin story for her eventual sort of Queen Cersei villain. Like you get to see yeah. you know, she was in the show she's never shown as a genuinely good person, but they give her those good moments. And yeah. and some justifiable frustration and anger and outrage at the system she's in that you do see why she's that sort of really cold, sinister villain we now see. And that does give her a lot of weight and depth. And that's worked for Thanos as well. You know, they gave him uh, they gave him some backstory. They gave you reasons why he is, even if you completely disagree with the logic behind it, even how illogical his goal is, they give you a reason why it's illogical because he's thinking from an outraged position. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. A villain doesn't necessarily have to be relatable or they don't necessarily have to have good qualities or anything like that. But the thing to me about someone like Euron is just he's boring. He's so he's just a complete twat just for the sake of being a twat. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can even make that work so long as you've got the the real charisma and commitment to it. Um, and I just don't think they've they've done enough with Euron to justify a shit for the sake of being a shit kind of character. Not the way they did with Joffrey, who really was truly detestable. Yeah. But I think that's a big problem is the show tried to recapture. They did. They've tried to replace Joffrey twice now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's something that we've talked about. Going back to Sonic a little bit. Yes. Um, I've been thinking <laughs> a lot this week about why 
on a fundamental level, I'm not talking about specifics of the design, why that original design was bothering me when, say, the Detective Pikachu ones didn't. And it finally clicked for me a couple of days ago that the issue is... It's totally the Uncanny Valley issue. It's... they With, with oh, yeah. Sonic, they've tried to make him fit in with the humans around him by giving him human features. Yes. And when you give a thing that is not human some human features, but not enough human features to sell them as human, it's unsettling. Yeah. No one wants to see a fucking hedgehog with thumbs. Yeah. We've all seen the Polar Express and what a horror nightmare show that was. Yeah. Sonic wears gloves because we don't want to see the fucking long furry fingers. Also, Sonic isn't even a hedgehog. I was looking at him. And I was like, is he actually meant to be a hedgehog or is he some space alien thing that just resembles a hedgehog in some way? In the film, I think he's an alien. His spikes are all made of hair, aren't they? If the, the leaked synopsis of the film is accurate, which it seems to be based on the trailer, he may be an actual hedgehog from another planet where hedgehogs are like this. Yeah. That seems to be what's going on. Like, there is a planet where hedgehogs exist, but they're humanoid, but they're still somehow hedgehogs. Yeah. I see what you mean, though, when you talk about Detective Pikachu, because the the Pokemon in that are still animals. And, st yeah. and therefore, you can make them more faithful and still realistic by just giving them more realistic textures. Yeah. They, they lean into the fact that these are animals and they are creatures and they don't try and put... Like, they put detail and they put realism but they don't try and add human features because that's the unsettling thing like the human brain doesn't like accurate human features on a thing that doesn't quite look human yeah why did he have to look realistic anyway like yeah. we we're first of all we're in a world where fucking something like ready player one gets all of its attention on the fact that everything in it is a faithful recreation people like faithful uh, the storyline of, you know, fish out of water, alien creature comes to Earth is so generic. And it's such an easy go-to for licensed stuff. Just what if this, but in the real world. I'm like, that again, that's what makes the Detective Pikachu thing work better, is it's the world is already established as having lots of Pokemon in it. You don't have to do the whole fish out of water. Oh, here's Detective Pikachu from the planet Pokemon who's come down to work with fucking James Marsden. They commit to it. That's the thing. They commit to the world they've made so they don't have to mutate the, the Pokemon to fit the world because they've made their world. That's, the pro that's one of the main problems with the Sonic movie is they decided lazily, real world, just normal America. And now we've got to try and twist and pull and break a hedgehog to fit with that. Yeah. They could have just made a sort of live action Mobius-y type world. You know exactly. Like com commit to the bit. Um, but yeah, on that note, I've seen that Detective Pikachu now. Mm, mm. Uh, by the time this episode goes up, it probably won't be out yet. But that's it's it's not a perfect film, but by gosh, it's probably the best video game film out there. Mm. That's high praise in a world where the Double Dragon film exists. <laughs> so like. I'm going to try and summarise my thoughts on this in, in a non-spoiler way as best I can. Um, I think in terms of what this film gets right, I think it definitely benefits from not trying to be about the Pokemon video game RPG story. Um, the story in the core games, go catch all the Pokemon, beat the Elite Four, that story works 
because you're playing it. Like it, so much of what makes that narrative work is the interactivity. That I'm pretty sure if you stripped the gameplay out of that, that story is boring and flat and goes nowhere. Like it, it's just not a, a good story for adaptation. Um, Detective Pikachu was a piece of source material. The 3DS game. I enjoyed it in spite of its gameplay. Like, its gameplay is overly simple. It's designed to be a detective game kids can get through. It takes what is legitimately quite a well-paced story and it breaks it up with now you've got to pause and do... Solve a mystery that you can see the answer to, but you have to go the long route round because detective game. I think that it re like this is probably a better telling of its story than the 3DS game it's based on. Um, it it definitely has a better ending than the Souls material, um, a more satisfying ending. Um, I think that they made some real good choices in terms of how they did their humour. Um, the humour walks that very fine line between family-friendly and jokes for adults in a way that allows Ryan Reynolds' spectacular performance as Detective Pikachu to have some room to, you know, be Ryan Reynolds without uh, without doing anything that's going to upset the parents of the kids, being like, oh, goodness, my kid can't hear this. Um, yeah. The, the example I keep thinking of is there is a point in this film where Pikachu makes a joke about doing cocaine, and... Very quickly afterwards, it's followed up by a very family-oriented joke, and the, the pacing felt almost like it was there to go, here's a joke for the adults, now quickly, here's a joke for the kids so they don't ask why the parents were laughing, because mm. they'll, they'll just assume it was the kids' joke that came after. It's, they get away with a lot by working within the confines of knowing kids are going to see this. That's good to know. I like some good under-the-radar humour. Yeah, like... It, it, it's a different genre. I'm, I'm going to talk about a horror thing r rather than a humour thing for a second. But, like, do you ever see kids' media that ends up having, like, the creepiest villain sometimes because it can't show you killing someone? I tell you what, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, the fucking, the child catcher. Mm. In, in, in her, what was that? Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Uh, the, the one that always comes to mind for me is um, Avatar The Last Airbender. There's Ko the Face Stealer, who is a... This creature that will just steal your face if you show any emotion in front of it. Like, that's unsettling. And that's an unsettling thing that's, you know, we can't show blood and violence, so we'll do something worse that's still kid-friendly. Yeah. There's, the humour in this film feels like that. It's, what can we get away with that we couldn't get away with if we if we took a more direct route. What what's right, the yeah. interesting side way to do this and to still get it in the film? Um I I think that the the, the core pair of people in this film, Ryan Reynolds and uh I, I think the guy's name's Justin Smith who plays his sort of co-star, um have a really good chemistry. Ryan Reynolds really solid delivery throughout this. Um it's not a film without flaws. Its overarching plot is predictable. You will probably be half an hour into this film and be like, oh, actually, you might even have watched the trailers and go, I know what the ending of this film's ultimately going to be. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, it's it's not it's not the most 
complex of detective narratives to work out where it might be going. It seems to me like the draw isn't even the plot. Like, it's it's the wacky scenes and the yeah. which Pokemon are there and what jokes they can do. And I'm, I'm fine with a predictable plot if the jokes and the scenes and the beats are on cue. This, this is the thing. Like, the overarching plot is predictable, but the moment-to-moment stuff isn't. Yeah, that's like, good, yeah. They have, they have a lot of good surprising moments along the way to the predictable ending. You know who scared the absolute fucking piss out of me was um judge doom from who framed roger rabbit oh oh yeah a lot of people find him creepy yeah oh my god and and when i found out that that was the same guy who's like the lovely old scientist in back to the future (laughs) (laughs) um yeah The, the the other thing i didn't expect about this film it's it's oddly it's very heartwarming like Detective Pikachu doesn't show up straight away in this film, and before he shows up, it's not really a comedy. There's a lot of just, like, quite interesting emotional setup and taking its time to, like, lay the emotional groundwork before it goes jokes, 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 jokes. It it takes time to be a really sweet film. Mm. Um, Like, even if you don't care about Pokemon, like, there's a very sweet, relatable story in here. Like... The animated Pokemon films have always been very much f- stories about Pokemon. This is a story that has Pokemon in it as a way to tell a, a, you know, a story that, you know, probably could exist without the Pokemon. The Pokemon just kind of drive it forward. Yeah. And uh, I, th- I think the only other big complaint I had was there's there's a few scenes where the green screen usage is really egregious. Um, Ooh. Yeah, it, it's not... Often, I'm talking maybe two or three shots in the whole film. Um, like most of the time, the blending of CGI and real world stuff works really well. You will occasionally get a shot um, where it will go. I- I'm trying to be vague with this. You might have a shot of actual footage of like the characters on green grass to then a CGI shot of that green grass back to a real world shot of that grass. Right, right. And the the starkness of the jump between the two can occasionally be a little bit oh, I can see that this is the I can see that you're in front of a green screen right now. Um it's not an here's the thing. It's a complaint, but it's a nitpicky one. I ultimately didn't care about most of the minor nitpicks I had about this film like yeah, it's a little predictable. Yeah, I noticed the green screen a few times. The journey to get to that endpoint was, quite frankly, hilarious, and there was a lot of unexpected points along the way. It, it, it didn't feel like it was pandering to be the video game movie film. It felt like it was just trying to be a good film that happened to have Pokemon in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a lot about that movie that looks cynical, but. No more so than, like, the Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff, where it's like, you can tell marketers have very specific plans for this, but there are genuinely creative people driving it. Yeah, It's no more cynical than the Pokemon games themselves, which make you spend 400 hours to chase (laughs) them. Chase them shinies. (laughs) Fucking shinies, whatever that means. Uh, it's, It's one of those things where it's like, You've got moments that feel like they're there for fan service. The same way, like, if you watched... 
if you watched Endgame, there are definitely moments where it's like, okay, that wasn't necessary for the plot. It was it was there to get a cheer. A third of Endgame is fan service, but that doesn't make it a bad film. No. It was it was good fan service. Yeah. I think I think they should do a Pokemon movie, right? But make it a horror movie from the point of the Pokemon and <laughs> the humans are trying to catch them and lock them in balls. I, I would watch that. <laughs> oh yeah. But yeah, no, I I genuinely had a lot of fun with that film, and I'm I'm going to see it a second time. Um, I once it is out at, at the, this upcoming weekend, I'm gonna go see it uh, with some other people who haven't seen it yet, and I'm gonna have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm just sorry, Laura. I've just seen this picture on the internet. I'm gonna link it to you both in the chat. What have you seen? <laughs> Oh, 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 I, oh, oh, there's a picture of uh, Daenerys Targaryen there working at Starbucks because there must always be a Starbucks in Winterfell. Yeah. Yeah, if, if people are unaware, they found a Starbucks cup on the table in Winterfell on the last episode of Game of Thrones for the season of Game of Thrones that everyone hates. It's been edited out now. I like it. I didn't like episode four, but I like the other episode. It's a bit rushed, but I'm enjoying it. I haven't hated it. Um, I found, I forget which season it was, but I think it was season five, maybe? It was one of the seasons where they were finally wrapping up the book stuff and were floundering a bit. And that season I found really weak. It's, I, I'm not finding this one like that one. Season five was the one that had a lot of Dorn in it, I think, was it? Because that was so boring, the Sand Snake stuff. I remember for definite one thing that happened, but it's a spoiler. I'll say that it was a season that had a lot of uh, Sons of the Harpy stuff in it. Um, mm. It was just sort of coming up to that, and they were introducing new things that aren't necessarily in the books. And they were making some changes that just looks a bit like Clueless Floundering, which they then re like they found their footing again next season. And then it was good again. Um this season, I'm just finding, yeah, it suffers from pacing issues where they're trying to cram a lot in. But um, I'm not hating it the way some people are, but I think that's the issue of, like, eight seasons of hype and build and expectation. It's never going to be what people expect or want. Yeah, and, and, and like with, like, most big series we've seen, whether it's video games or TV or movies, it's incredibly diff difficult to wrap something up in a satisfying way. Mm-hmm. Like, I I saw a thread the other day. Are there any shows that actually did that? And there were just, no one could really agree on one. Apart from Mad Men, people seem to be universally in praise of that show's yeah. ending. I can think of a lot of shows that went on for about eight seasons and didn't stick their landings. I'm looking at you, Lost. Oh, God, Lost. I lo Lost lost me after one season. So. Oh, I stuck with it right to the end. I I was I was a believer that they were gonna find some way to give it a good ending. <laughs> I held out hope. Even Breaking Bad, which I thought had a fantastic end ending, seems to have been. Some people thought that wasn't uh, a super great ending either, and I was surprised to hear that. I think it's just because some of the things in the last season felt a little extraneous. Um, like they were trying to find some new villainous sort of antagonists to work against and it didn't quite work yeah, yeah. but there was there were narrative threads in that final season that were terrific well, i think the whole point of that last season was that walter was the villain yeah yeah um but they clearly were trying to find a new sort of replacement for certain other characters and certain other yeah. story threads that just couldn't live up to what they'd had already um so yeah yeah game of thrones i'm enjoying it well enough i do agree with um a few of the criticisms i've seen especially from this last past episode with some of the character interactions and, and stuff. Also, 
there was a certain plot line involving an underground area in in the episode before that, uh, which I said, if nobody has actually thought of this in the show, that's just bad writing to think that they'd be this fucking stupid that not one person in Winterfell considered this might happen. I was like, there's no way they're going to put that in the episode. And then it happened. I was like, fuck's sake. Yeah. That's just yeah. bad. That's bad writing right there. <laughs> That everyone in Winterfell was too fucking stupid to think this might happen. Ooh. Side note, uh, last couple of days Microsoft have been teasing on all their Xbox uh, social media accounts something Game of Thronesy for Xbox. Oh yeah, I saw that. People have been hoping, like, oh, maybe it'll be a, a Game of Thrones game or something. Uh, equally, I'm like, eh, it, could, it could just be we stuck a Game of Thrones logo on a console or something, but... Game of Thrones game would be nice if they did it. A good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a decent one would be good because there's been a few shitty ones. They did the Telltale one, which I played. I can't remember if I even finished the fucking series, but it it was okay. It, it was not a patch on anything Game of Thrones or Telltale mm. up to that point. Then there was one published by... a, a pu- Made and published by companies that were nowhere near big enough for the property. And so it was a fairly cheap... Um, action RPG thing on the level of like Orcs and Men or Mars Logs, War Logs or whatever it was. Like that cyanide level of of video game um, set on, uh, at the wall predominantly. And it wasn't very good. But they did get some of the actors in it. I saw a lot of people saying they want CD Projekt to do a Game of Thrones game, but I don't because I think CD Projekt are really strong when they're taking lesser known properties yeah. and doing their own version of that and then suddenly making that a much more known known IP. Well, yeah. yeah, that's worked out for them. I still want my Westeros Warriors. I want Tecmo Kali to, to give me that. I, I would play that. I'll play the shit out of that. I'll play it all yeah. the fucking long. I'll be honest, I don't need a Game of Thrones game. I don't need one, but... I'm pretty, pretty happy with just the series as it is. And yeah. I don't know. It's not. I, I think because it's so heavily narrative-based and, like, I don't know. I, I just struggle to think how anyone would make a decent one in today's video game climate. Yeah. Uh, news things this week. There's been a bit of some serious allegations about uh, about that Randy Pitchford going around. Mm. Uh, have either of you seen much about this? Uh, yes. We ha- do we have to talk about this? <laughs> it it <sighs> feels like an important thing that has come up. Um, yeah, yeah. Do, do you want to talk at all about this, Jim? You guys mind if I just stay? Because I just I don't like participating in video game drama stuff. That's, yeah, that's I'm just totally gonna. Fair. I'm just not gonna touch this one with a ten foot barge pole and let you two talk about this one. I'll ra- I can rattle it out quick. Yeah. Um, Dave Eddings, former Gearbox employee, also voiced Claptrap in all of the games up to Borderlands Three, and uh, he's not returning to voice Claptrap in Borderlands Three. Said on Twitter, he finally asked for money to do it, and they couldn't. They, they wouldn't reach an agreement with him. Yeah. To, 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 to clarify that point, it seems like, as far as we can tell, it it was voluntary for him to voice Claptrap. It was not something that was put, like, put onto him as, as a part no, of the job. No, no. But there's always that question of, your boss tells you to do something at your job, how viable is it to say no? Yeah, we don't know. Not only that, he wasn't working for Gearbox at the time, so he should rightfully expect payment to do it for the next game. Yeah, exactly. So... 
it, it's why he didn't get paid for the first two, but why he was like, eh, yeah, but if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna come back, yeah, yeah. But either way, it's something that most companies wouldn't even respond to. Um, but Randy Pitchford is Randy Pitchford, can't let anything go. So fired back and started going on and uh, about how the bit. There was that creepy line where he said that he wanted it and reveled in it, doing the claptrap voice. Um, yeah. That he was well compensated and all of that. It's called him bitter and disgruntled at the way he parted company with Gearbox. And Dave Eddings didn't appreciate that, so fired back and talked about basically what a dick Randy was and then said at one point he was physically assaulted by Randy Pitchford in the Marriott Marquis Hotel in 2017. Um, and then Randy, who was very, very chatty up to that point, stopped for about 20 hours, um, didn't tweet anymore after that, and he's put some stuff up now, but none, none, nothing at this time addressing that. Yeah. Very serious allegation. Um, not something I would speak to, but yeah. I will say that Randy Pitchford, as as a PR problem, is a definite problem. It yeah. keeps magnifying and making controversies worse. In- indeed. I-, I don't know what the level of accuracy to the claims is, obviously, but... It- it's probably not doing him any favours to rile up someone... It, here's the thing: if he, if Randy Pitchford gets in a fight with someone, people are probably not going to be sympathetic to Randy, Rand, to Pitchford's side. Well, people don't buy his routine anymore. He, he, every time something like this happens, he portrays himself as as the victim of um, vindictive communities and shoddy games journalism, and he, he's always talking. Like I've seen interviews where it's like, it's not. Fair. Literally saying it's not fair like a child. Um, you're a gamer, a shoddy journalist for breaking a story that Game Informer had brokered a deal to have the exclusive on with the publisher. And he calls them shoddy journalists because they found the story first and shared it with their audience, mm. which is exactly what journalism is. Um, you know, the Aliens Colonial Marine thing. He's unfairly portrayed as a liar because people called him out on the lies he told. Um, the microtransactions thing, he said there wouldn't be microtransactions in Borderlands 3. Game Informer, which is ironic, pointed out that there are. Yeah. And he started going, and they didn't call him a liar. No. But he fired back with, why are you trying to fuck me on this? He tried to fuck on me! Just, oh, it's... He amplifies the problems. He'll turn yeah. a small controversy into a big one, and he'll turn a big one into a clusterfuck. Yeah, it's... When he gets vocal in response to things, it doesn't tend to pan out well for him. He is to games Twitter what Donald Trump is to politics Twitter. And and just Twitter in general, if we're talking about Trump. But like, he's at that level of someone take his goddamn phone away. Mm. So yeah, that's that's that that story. Um, anything else we got this week? Um, at, at, just before we started recording, I'm going to do a video on this after we we're done. Um, a U.S. senator has introduced a bill to ban loot boxes and pay-to-win microtransactions. Um, the bill is called the Protecting Children from Abusive Games Act. Um, I told I told you so. I said that. Things like this would start happening. That's not to say this bill will ever get passed, but it's quite clear that politicians are very interested in this new unregulated revenue source, which is exactly what I said would happen. So no sympathy at all for the game industry on this one. They had their shot. 
to control this and they decided short-term gains were more important. It's on them. So that was a story that broke just before we started recording. I think there's a very important difference as well between politicians uh, attacking video games because of their content, or their artistic content, or their violence or whatever, and between people calling out actual gambling. It's a business practice. It's not artistic expression. Yeah. It, loot boxes are a business practice. The loot boxes can be artfully drawn. But their reason for being in the game is not artistic expression. So, no, I mean, like, David Jaffe tried that, like, talking about censoring art by taking a loot boxes out. It's, it's not censoring art. It's controlling a business tactic, which is a very different beast. Mm. Uh, that happen Regulation in business happens all the time. It's why companies are only quasi-awful instead of the devil. It's... It's the reason you so, so, so rarely see games include loot box style mechanics, but offer you zero way to pay for them. It's because they're not there because they make the game better, they're there for monetization. Yes. Like, if they, if, if they made your piece of art a better piece of art, you would see them in games that didn't charge you to interact with them. Yeah. I mean, if they made if they made the art better, we wouldn't have to severely rebalance games when loot boxes are taken out, as we've seen with Shadow of War and Star Wars Battlefront Two. They've actively made games worse. I mean, when 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 they're done for the sake of the game, they usually just you know everything just explodes out of the boss you just killed. Yes. Instead of you having to buy loot. Boxes. Yes, R randomized art in something like uh, loot rather in something like Diablo Three has a purpose. Yeah. That's part of the fun is uncovering what loot you can get next, but that fun is diminished. If you pay to find out what loot you get next. Which, let's be fair, Diablo 3 fucked up at the beginning. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, again, that's another bit of evidence about how monetization can ruin a game. Wasn't that pretty much the uh, the sowing the seeds for everything that's happened since was the Diablo uh, store? Or am I wrong on that? Uh, I mean, it, there's a lot of mobile games that shoulder a lot more blame in terms of, of introducing gambling into games. But it was certainly um, it was certainly a sign of what Activision would like to see happen to its games, um, and certainly uh, something that makes one worry about Diablo Immortal and future Diablo games. Yeah. Um, the auction house was in, certainly uh, an early sh dis display of how monetization can negatively impact the entire game's design, and one of the earlier uh, game game examples of monetization being taken out. And the game vastly improving as a direct result after being rebalanced again. Um, it's a very good early example of that. Didn't that happen with the, the Mordor? I've forgotten the name of it now. Yes, Shadow of War um, had to rebalance itself drastically. That game was an unbelievable grind. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that happened. They had to rebalance it. I've, I, I think I, I got like halfway through it. And I just couldn't take it anymore. It was such a grind. Yeah, the end game's even worse. Or was. Which is a pity, because it's got a great combat system. Yeah, they they just undermined the central point of it. You know, the, the central enjoyment of, of the shadow of... Basically, the Middle-Earth shadow games is discovering new and unique orcs. But once you turn the orcs themselves into loot drops, what's the point? I, I lose my investment in them as things to discover in the world because you can always get something better in a fucking randomized chest um so yeah they had to rebalance the whole thing because that's what happens these games are deliberately poorly balanced 
Speaking of randomized chests, I'm going to say this really quickly and we move on. Man, chalice dungeons suck. They're so boring. Okay, we can move on now. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a, a good argument about um, what happens if you rely too much on procedural generation, um, especially sort of tile sets in a game in which intricate level design is very important and an essential part of the... So many games just don't... Focus on not doing the thing that they're really good at doing. Yeah. But luckily, Bloodborne had an excellent game on top of the Chalice Dungeons. Oh, yeah. And they're not the worst thing I've ever played. I'm I'm, I'm clearly exaggerating, but I compared to the main game, I found them very grindy and boring. Yeah, it's it's just sort of bad Bloodborne. Yeah. Mixed yeah. in with, <laughs> as, as an ad- additional part of the good Bloodborne. <laughs> In the in the least appealing possible environment, they could have set them in as well. Like if yeah, yeah. If, if it wasn't all muddy, root filled, poison filled rooms of and swampy mud, I might have somewhat wanted to push on more through them. But I was like, nah. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff in them if you get you know deep and find some of the interesting bosses. And from a design standpoint, seeing the the kind of bosses that clearly might have been part of the original game, but didn't find a place, so they stuck them in there. Yeah, the watchdog boss is really cool. That should have been in the main game. Mm. I've heard it. I've heard the second version's a real bastard, though. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, I'm from softing again. No, no, you're all good. No, no, go ahead. It's, it's a slow week. Like it's, it's. We're in these. Tip, these are the months where the game industry typically slows down. But I'm feeling it even more than usual because of the ridiculously front-loaded year we've had. I gave Days Gone another chance and just nah. Yeah. Yeah. People were like, you have to keep playing and then it gets good. I'm like, no, nah, I was bored. I, I just. Well, here's the thing. You can keep playing and it does get better, but then it gets worse again. And then it might get better again. It's just, it's inconsistent and it's not worth the slog for most people. No, it controls, it controls so badly and I don't enjoy the moment to moment movement in the game that I'm not going to keep pushing through it because that's not going to get better. I can't blame you. No, you know. Let's say once you, once you, as I, as I called it, I think last week, skill par it to the point where you can shoot a gun without missing. That was a very big flaw in the first Mass Effect game. Actually, mm. it's a good they they fixed that in in Mass Effect two and three. That was, I think, a lot of people were frustrated by that in the first Mass Effect game. It, it's why in the first game I never tried any precision kind of weapon. I was just like spray and pray. But then it was cool because by the end of Mass Effect one, you'd have these like basically these guns that you could just spray for minutes at a time and never have to reload and just be completely overpowered. Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah. You put in the same amount of time into Days Gone to feel competent, not overpowered. Yeah. To feel combat ready for the world. It's a huge investment. I hope I hope Mass Effect isn't dead. Did you see that news about EA this week, how they're restructuring how they... They said they're restructuring the way they launch games. I don't know, just what does that even mean? Oh, whatever. Yeah. Why did they even say things like that? Was this in response to, oops, we fucked up with Anthem? Yeah. It was It was in response to basically now, like, if you look at any community-related content, Anthem's just become kind of the butt of a joke at this point. Yeah. Yeah, understandably so. I mean, I would imagine if, if that's their response, the generous read is, they might be finishing games before they launch them now. Ha! Yeah. 
Wouldn't that be nice? That would be nice. That that would be the most positive read I could take on a, a non-statement like that. Go on, go go back to the original version of Dragon Age 4 that sounded really cool. Well, Casey Hudson came out this week and clarified that it's not going to be uh, an online thing. And uh, he said that when they talk about... Uh, when they talk about online, all they mean is adding more to the story after. So... Well. That, I mean, it remains to be seen if that's what's going to happen, but hopefully that is what's going to Fingers happen. crossed, yeah. yeah. Anyway, they have to nail it. Like, yeah. I've said that like six times now in the podcast, but they absolutely have to nail that game. Oh, yeah. If they fail, if they fail with Dragon Age 4, it's over. Are, are any of you particularly excited for, uh, for E3 coming up or anything? Nah. Nah. No. Ray, Ray, Rage is coming out next week, though. I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. That'd be nice. I'm looking forward to something to do. That'll be a fun. Looks fun and colourful. Mad Max and Doom with pink. Yeah, I'm. My three favourite things in the world. Um, <laughs> the 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 night that this episode goes up, uh, they're doing another of those uh, state of play PlayStation things. They're like PlayStation Nintendo Directs. I'm I'm interested to see if they learn anything from the first one. If they make any changes structurally. Yeah. What, one thing I'll say they're doing really well with those is tempering expectations. Um, whether whether this PlayStation Direct will be any good or not, they've gone in from the start saying, hey, it's only going to be 10 minutes. It's going to feature gameplay of that remake of Medieval. That's going to be the big thing. Yes. There'll be, there'll be a game or two you've not seen before, but, you know, it's 10 minutes long. Don't, don't you know, this isn't the PS5 reveal or anything. So I'm like, well, well done you for, you know, getting people's brains in the right place. Yeah. What they should have just said is it's 10 minutes long and that's all you're gonna fucking need, mate. That I think, I feel like, and I might be proven wrong, I feel like they're maybe deliberately downplaying it so that they can do something to be a little bit exciting. Um, there was a rumour going around this morning that um, they, that this was where we were going to see Final Fantasy VII's remake finally pop back up. <laughs> and... A couple of hours after this rumor started, Final Fantasy Twitter accounts started sharing, like retweeting the state of play video and then tweeting images of Final Fantasy VII screenshots. So it seems like maybe that will be where that shows back up. Mm. And if that is the case, I'll, I'll be happy to know that game hasn't completely died. So wary about that. Yeah. I'm so wary about that. Like I just I don't want Square Enix to Square Enix it up. I enjoyed the gameplay of Kingdom Hearts 3 enough that I'm like okay, maybe. Maybe. Maybe they can make a good fun game, I don't know. Maybe. But please make a good if you please don't make this suck Square Enix. You probably will, but please don't. <laughs> my 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 problem with Square Enix is they go back and George Lucas so much of their stuff. Like the whole compilation of Final Fantasy VII thing they did introduced so much fucking unnecessary guff, and and I'm worried that they're gonna introduce that into this this one and and just stuff it up and make some. I mean, Final Fantasy VII already has a pretty convoluted story, but it had some really good themes, some of which I'm not even expecting to be emphasised in the remake, to focus instead on all oh, look how cool Sephiroth is. Ah, um, uh, hey, those those themes that are now more relevant than they were when the game was first created. Let's yeah. just uh, play those down. I would like them to do that again, but something tells me this remake will not be able to be big enough to do something like reinforcing having to go through Coral every time you use you, you want to go to the Gold Saucer, mm. um, and re-emphasizing things like uh, 
class and, and financial differences between uh, different people and different societies. Um, to say nothing, of course, about the big ecological storyline. Yeah. But there's so much more in there about poverty and industrialism and corporatism. And, and I worry that this remake is going to be too visually lavish and therefore too expensive yeah. to go into all of that and it will just broad stroke so much of it. I, I can hear it already now, the, all of the complainy people going, oh, why did they insert politics into my Final Fantasy VII? Well, that's the thing. If you were to re-release Final Fantasy VII faithfully, uh, say re-release, if you were to release it today, that it, everything that's in that game in a new game today, it would be written off as SJW bullshit. Yeah. They would just go, hey, it's SJW shit. Because, you know, I've been replaying it, as I've said, recently over the past few weeks, and it's it slaps you in the face. It's not subtle at all about what it's saying. There's no hidden, n- nothing hidden there. Yeah. And it's not just the whole the planet's dying shtick. It's all the other stuff I mentioned about, like, say, corporatism, industrialism, um, you know, uh, gentrification even. Um, all of that stuff is in there, and it's it's not hidden, and it's not trying to be hidden. It is yelling it, screaming it, uh, and and I, I something that's what I, makes me love Final Fantasy VII and remember it and and have it endear itself to me every time I replay it. Is there's it's those themes, and and I worry that that the remake will not be able to be as sprawling because it's going to have to look amazing because Square Enix puts so much emphasis on graphics that it's going to be a smaller game that only focuses on the really, you know, the main plot thread about Sephiroth and Cloud, you know. Sephiroth killed that one character, go get revenge. Because I think Final Fantasy VII's story gets boiled down memetically so much into just Cloud and Sephiroth are going to have a fight. Which they don't even properly do in Final Fantasy VII. I hope it's good for the sake for the sake of that journalist who fell off his chair. I hope it's good. <laughs> I hope it's good. Yeah. What is it now? Four years ago they announced it. God, yeah. Something like that. If there's one thing Square Enix is really good at, it's announcing games. Actually, making and finishing them, that takes them a long time. But they love to announce games. Yeah. They they did at least acknowledge with this one, like th- the same for Kingdom Hearts three. There was an interview there where they were like, "Yeah, we inter- we we announced both of those far too early." It's like, yeah, yeah, you think they do it all the time? They did it with fucking Final Fantasy thirteen versus or whatever. Um, they 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 always have to announce big sprawling projects, seemingly without knowing whether or not they can do it, or certainly not when they can do it. Yeah, um, but that's that's just Square Enix's why. Um, I'm I'm worried about the Final Fantasy VII remake. This this remake got thrown out at least once already, didn't it? Because it was being done by CyberConnect, who are the people that do a bunch of Naruto fighting games, and it got pulled over to be internal at Square Enix because CyberConnect seemed to be fucking it up. So uh, at least I can I can understand the delay on this one slightly from. Oh shit, we started making a game and it didn't turn out good. Yeah. And I also think a big part of that delay has to be oh shit, how do we do this? How do we make a game that sprawling? What bits do we save? Which bits do we leave on the cutting room floor? Like, just from a planning perspective, this is a ridiculous task. Yeah. Oh, I think that's all the video games I got in me this week. Yeah.
I bet the remake won't have Mog House in it. Probably not. Help him little, like fly around <laughs> to get a mate and have lots of babies. It's the best bit of Final Fantasy VII, isn't it? Isn't it? Two Moogles fucking. <laughs> Two Moogles fucking in a tree. Can the whole game just be an ultra-high-res Moogle fucking simulator? Oh, full penetration, please. Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, so that's that. I'm going to rush off and do that video now. Um, my big I told you so video. Yeah. Um, Laura, how can people find out things What for you on the internet? What for do it? Who, what, me for do what? Yeah. Laura, Laura K Buzz on Twitter, Twitch and YouTube. Uh, I got a couple of books coming out later this year. Uncomfortable Labels, which comes out on July 18th. And Things I Learned from Mario's Butt, which hopefully comes out in the the late summer. Is the hope? Superb. Um, those those are the big things. Go go go! Get excited about those. Brilliant. And Gavin, Gavin Dunn, music man. You do the musics, and people like them. And where can they hear them? I've been liking them a lot lately, which is lovely. Yeah. They can uh, hear it on YouTube. You can search for Miracle of Sound. And my latest song is inspired by the story of Mr. Sekiro and it's got lots of Japanese instruments, so it's worth a listen. Mm-hmm. And you can find me on Spotify, on iTunes, and I've been having such a great year on Spotify, I can't believe it. I'm I'm getting numbers on Spotify that, like, big artists get, <laughs> you know? Brilliant. <laughs> like, I've got nearly 90 million plays on Spotify now, which is ah. fucking crazy. I can't, you know, it's for something I make in my bedroom. You know? That's amazing. Anyway, enough enough bragging. Uh, you can find me on Spotify. You can find me on Patreon if you want to help to keep me in a job. Because as much as you would think so, getting lots of plays on Spotify does not actually make you wealthy. So, uh, yeah. It's because it's on Spotify. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Tool just announced the fucking release date for their new album. And it's going to be on Spotify and I can't fucking wait. And there's two new songs flying around and I haven't listened to them because I don't like the idea of people listening to my stuff on shit quality, (laughs) bad, crappy recordings. So I'm not going to do that to one of my favorite bands either. (laughs) Fair enough. I'm going to wait for the goddamn album and it's going to be hopefully amazing. Excellent. Sorry, I'm very distracted as well today. It's all good. It's It's all good. there's There's so much not video game stuff happening. Yeah. Like really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Ranging from interesting to horrifying if we take the full scope of world events and news stories oh, yeah. as well as interesting pop culture things. Um but we've got our bread and our circuses in the form of HBO programming and Disney films. Um and that's it. And at least Sonic at least Sonic didn't lose a billion dollars. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just lost a lot of kids a lot of sleep so far. Um, unfortunately, it might cost a lot of animators a lot of sleep as well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's it for Podquisition. Um, you know you know who I am, as usual. I've got a PWE show May 18th, so 10 days from the time of recording, uh, in Pearl. Um, check that out if you want. Uh, and looking at doing a, a wrestling date or two, a wrestling show or two up in Pittsburgh. Um, I'll, that's all I'll say for right now till things are properly solidified. Um, and that's it. You know, thank you so much for supporting us on the Patreon, for listening to this, sharing this, sharing your position, all of that stuff. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.